had to think on things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. All right, so let's get into this a little bit ago, a little while as it's in here. Almost a generation ago, when the computer revolution had just begun, the pioneers in the field coined a brand new word. In those days, not many people knew how to operate a computer, and those who did made many mistakes. Sometimes the neophyte experts entered the wrong data only to discover a universal truth. Now, Ginger, what was it that your math teacher said to you when you were in high school about a calculator or whenever it was? church with me once okay there you go okay thank you sweetie now sorry now so we have computers or calculators with us and really really you know it your phone is it's you have a computer in your hand it's not just a phone it's a computer you know, it's it's everything that a desktop desktop can do. I mean, you can get plane tickets. Yeah, you can you can order food. You can get a phone number for anything, anybody. You can say if you're in a strange town that you or a city you've never been in before, you can say punch in, uh, find the nearest uh, McDonald's. Thank you. Stop eating McDonald's. You're not going to lose weight either. But anyway, unless you eat the, the fruit and nuts, right? That one that was on top. Okay. So you have all of this at your fingertips. And so when this computer revolution started, they discovered a truth. And it, if the, the raw data is bad, the computer can't do anything good with it. What you put into the computer determines what comes out of the computer, right? For instance, my mom, my mom was a church treasurer and secretary for about 25 years. And at one point, Ginger was actually with staying with my mom and dad at that time, and my mom was off two cents, two cents. So, and so, my mom is searching through everything, trying to find two cents, two cents. Ginger even offered to give her two cents when she was little. No, we had to find the two cents. So, eventually what happened was that Ginger began to enter into the computer everything and every transaction on my mom's ledger, the church ledger, to try to help her find it, and she found it in 30 minutes. And she was stressed out for how many minutes? We're going to talk about how many minutes. So she's stressed out about it, and in 30 minutes, because of what was input into the computer, it showed where the mistake was. Because the computer can only calculate and work with what is put into it. Okay? So, we're, so, so here we are. If you put the right data in, the right answers come out. 
But the reverse is also true. In order to express that truth, a new word was coined. It describes, it's described as four letters, both the cause and consequences of putting the wrong data into the computer. Most computer buffs know what word I'm already talking about. It's gigo. Gigo. Anybody ever heard gigo? Anybody besides the Gen Z fans know that? Gigo. Okay. Gigo stands for this. Garbage in, garbage out. If you put garbage in, garbage is going to come out. If you haven't had Ginger have Siri ask you about, no, we don't want to do that now. No, we're not touching that anymore. No. Imagine that you have zero cookies and you split them evenly among zero friends. How many cookies does each person get? See, it doesn't make sense. And Cookie Monster is sad that there are no cookies. And you are sad that you have no friends. The only thing you're going to remember about this lesson is that stupid thing right there. Okay, so if you have zero cookies and zero friends, okay? So that's what we're saying. You put junk in, garbage in, garbage is going to come out. Johnny said the night he was sick of going to the movies and something, and my mind went to, yeah, I'm sick of, I'd be sick of going to movies and watching cartoons because I think all the movies are cartoons now, or most of them are. But anyway, that's just my grouchiness. So these four letters summarize the huge truth about computers. What you put in determines what you get out. So if your input is garbage, guess what's coming out? Garbage. Now we're going somewhere with this, okay? So what, do you, what you put into your mind determines what you get out. What we put into our minds determines what we get out. All right, now... So, uh, Amy's new new boss is a runner. Mar- she runs marathons. Dr. Garrison, superintendent of schools, right? She runs. All right? So, I guarantee you she probably eats healthy, takes care of herself. You know, Brandon runs. He probably tries to eat right most of the time. Once in a while, I see him backslide and go buy some Dr. Orange Coke. He doesn't. All right, Olympic Olympic athletes or athletes kind of say, oh, okay, but I'm not I'm not a runner. You can tell that. You can tell I'm not a runner. But what I'm putting in is what my body is what's going to happen, and my body's going to produce whatever I put in. What is true of computers is also true of human of the human mind. That comparison is apt because the human mind has often been compared to a computer. In fact, the human mind is far more complex than the most advanced computer ever designed. But the basic principle of GIGO is still true. Garbage in, garbage out. We think about 10,000 thoughts a day. Now think about it. How many thoughts have you thought today? We're always thinking. We're in life, and we have to make life decisions. Yesterday, there was a, a car coming, and it was, the car was fairly close, not too close, and I decided that I would go ahead and go. I made it. Still here. 
right? But that was the first thought was to go. The second thought was he's not going too fast. The third thought was he's far enough away. The fourth thought then was, but what would have happened if he, if he if by chance my engine would have hesitated? What would it have had done that was on my side? That would have probably made me late for all my appointments yesterday if I would have got quiet too bad, right? Might have made me a little late. You know you're late and you're, you're really needing to get somewhere when you get pulled over for speeding? Guess what? You're really late now. When you get behind the Sunday driver, you think 10,000 thoughts a day. What's going on with that? Do you know that the average person has 10,000 separate thoughts a day? That works out to about three and a half million thoughts a year, and your brain is not tired. Three and a half million a year. If you live to be 75, that means that you're going to have around 26 million different thoughts in your lifetime. That's average. That's not for people like Buster, whose mind is always constantly running. How many of you had trouble sleeping because of mine last night? There you are. <laughs> yeah, your mind's always, and you're dead tired, right? You're dead tired, and you can't wait to get to bed, and when you get to bed, then you're the switch flips, and you start thinking and thinking and thinking. 26 million different thoughts. So almost everybody in here already today has spent about or thought about 8,000 separate thoughts since getting out of bed this morning. So you'll think about 2,000 more before you go to bed at night. Some of you are thinking, when, am I, when is he going to be done all that? Some of you are thinking it's hot in here. Some of you are thinking it's cold. How is it tonight? Is it hot? Tried to warm it up a little bit for you. Some of you are thinking, what's he going to be texting me about? Some of you are thinking, when I get home, I'm going to have a bowl of Cheetos before I go to bed. I'm going to have a musty number one coffee. I'm going to do whatever. 2,000 more thoughts before you hit the sack tonight, and then tomorrow it starts all over again. Every one of those 10,000 thoughts represents a choice that you have to make a decision to think about this and not about that. You have to choose what you're going to think about. This thought crosses, and you choose. Do I entertain that, or do you, do you build on it, or do I let that one go and do this one? Does that make sense so far? All right. So suppose somebody gives you $10,000 this morning and says this. Spend it any way you like as long as you spend it all before you go to bed tonight. No, you don't even have to leave your driveway. You can just pay your bill by phone or whatever. So you'd be careful on how to spend it, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd sit down and you'd take inventory of what can I do with that much money? What can I do with this $10,000 that is going to make the most sense? Do I pay this bill off? Do I, do I buy something that I've always wanted? Do I, do I go buy me a Wave Runner?
How sad, now watch, so let's get off of what we're going to buy. How sad that we devote so much time on how to spend our money and so little time on how we spend our thoughts. How sad that one seems so important and the other seems so trivial. So if we're really going to take the time and think about what we're going to do, so Ginger, what kind of Mac do you have? Why? So you thought about a 17.6-inch screen. Okay, what else? Graphic design, video editing software, latest in Adobe Suite products. You've thought all this through. Okay. So you spend a lot of time on that. But you've spent time on thinking through. Where would you buy it at? That's the best place to buy. spend a lot of time thinking about that Mac. But what do we think about thinking about ourselves and how we see ourselves as God? How much time do we spend thinking about what I need to change to get better in living for God? How can I change my thought processes and my thought patterns so not being so negative and start being more positive? But are thoughts really so unimportant? You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, Beware of what you set your mind on, because that you surely will become. Norman Vincent Peale, you guys remember him? Okay. He said, Change your thoughts, and you can change the world. Henry Ford gave that truth a different spin when he declared, Thinking is the hardest work in the world, which is probably why so few people engage in it. Have you ever been, and I don't know, uh, some of you may work jobs. I know Christy works at a bank and manages a bank, and, and Dustin, I know he does a lot of thinking and the engineering side and all of this. But you don't do much physical work one day, but you do a lot of thinking and mental work. And when you get home, you're just like, oh, you're drained. I didn't like, I didn't do anything today except sit here and think. And you're just slap worn out. That's because there is power here. That's because there is stress here. That's because this is work. A perceptive comment by Betty Ticelli. Two thoughts cannot occupy the mind at the same time. So the choice is ours whether or not our thoughts will become constructive or destructive. Am I going to build on this thought? Is this thought going to help me or is this thought going to tear me down? Is this thought going to uh, help me improve myself or is it going to help make myself more
So you change your thoughts and you can change your words. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the choice is ours. God gave us 10,000 thoughts today, but it's up to us with what we do with them. So how's your thought life, brother and sister Christian? How's our thought life? What have we been thinking about? There's four kinds of negative thinking, and we're going to talk about them tonight. So many people struggle with negative thinking. Negative thoughts poison the mind and ultimately the soul. Here's four common examples of negative thinking. The first one is self-pity. Okay? Self-pity. We all fall into this trap sooner or later. Life is hard for all of us. As the saying goes, into each life some rain must fall. It's easy to think that somehow we've been dealt an unfair hand. That while our neighbor is basking in sunshine, we're living in a perpetual downpour. This self-pitying person says, you don't know what I'm going through. Or, well, you try living with this 24 hours a day and see how happy you are. You guys ever heard any of that? Now, I'm not going to ask you if you've ever said that. I'm just going to ask you if you've ever heard anybody say that to you. Have you heard yourself say that to yourself? No, no. You know what I'm saying? So you don't know what I'm going through, and you try living with this for 24 hours a day and see how happy you are. The second one is blaming. The first one is self-pity. The second one is blaming. This is another extreme here. Blaming is an attempt to find a scapegoat for your problems. You can't face life on your own, so you find another person who seems to be the source of your problems. It might be your husband or your wife, or it could be your children or your parents. It's often uh, could be a friend, a neighbor, or your boss, or even someone at church. And if none of those fit, it's probably Donald Trump's fault. Okay, just to tell you that. I mean, that's really, we decided that if nobody else is, it's Donald Trump's fault. Blaming is dangerous because it leads to perpetual victimhood. This is where a lot of folks who are dealing with addictions find themselves. It's always somebody else's fault. And one of the first steps in a sobriety program is you have to take responsibility for your own actions. You can't blame it on somebody else. Okay? Well, I have this negative thinking, and I'm blaming somebody else because if this wouldn't have happened to me, and that wouldn't have happened to me, and nothing would have happened to me, I would be okay. But the problem is there are people who have excelled that have been through the same problems that other people are leaning on as a crutch. All right? I'm going to give you an example. Uh, let's, let's go with my wife example okay now somebody say well I'm this way because um, my mom and dad got a divorce when I was little and I was raised by my stepdad or my stepmom and they didn't love me and they didn't care for me and so you know that's that's how I have my problems so but I'm still okay 
with. In fact, the last, the last thing, now listen, I'm so patient. The last thing that Annie remembers sitting at home on, her mom is cleaning the kitchen, the dinner table out. And it's a big old brick house out on Bluff City. Okay? I live in Bluff City. They've just been in that house about six months. This is in November of 1974. And she was cleaning up the dishes from the dining room table after dinner that night. And she went into a, a seizure and collapsed on the dining room floor. And Amy saw it. And two or three days later, her mom died. Now, Amy didn't go to the funeral. They didn't take her to the funeral. They probably should have. Okay? They probably should have. But she could blame that. She could say, well, I grew up without a mom. So I had no problem. I had this and I had this. But what I'm trying to say is you have to just get your thinking put together here. And even though we all have choices and we all have chances to blame somebody else or blame a circumstance or a situation, well, how are we working this today? You see what I'm saying? How are we working this today? Now, fortunately for Amy or for me, Amy eventually went to Texas to my very commanding sister-in-law and brother. When I say that, my sister-in-law is very strong-willed and strong-minded. And Amy watched how she mothered and how she took care of the house and did all this other stuff. And so probably a lot of things that Amy picked up on was from my sister-in-law in Texas. From She lived there from the time she was 13 until she was about almost 19. And so you, all of these things happen in our lives, and you have to say, okay, well, how is this situation going to affect me, and do I let it affect me? Does it become a reason? I was working with a guy one time. He, he has trouble with alcohol, and we were doing, we were remodeling the kitchen, and we were needing parts from the hardware store. And if you, if you know that if you go, if you're doing a plumbing job, it is three to four trips to the hardware store. It's not just one. Okay? So when I walk in there, I number one, I declare, I'm plumbing today. I will see you two or three more times before the day's over. Or electrical is usually the same way. And so I go to the, and he was supposed to be uh, starting to put up some cabinets. And I went to the hardware store, and I came back, and he was setting out on the steps smoking a cigarette. I said, okay, what's going on? Hey, hi, how you doing? And he said, Grace, come in here. I'm going to show you why I'm a drunk. I said, okay. So we go in. Well, he goes to put a cabinet up, and the wall is like this. Okay? You can't put a cabinet up when the wall is like that. But what was he saying? That this situation here has caused me to do this. But it's not the situation, it is the way that he thought about the situation and how he decided to handle the situation. And we have to do that in life. Are we going to be a self-pityer or are we going to play blameless? You see what I'm saying? 
or are we going to choose to think on the things that the Bible talks about? Is this all right? Okay. Thanks, Sister Sherry. Un- unwillingness to change. Have you ever met somebody unwilling to change? I know what Pastor Tracy says, but I ain't changing. That's okay. Because Pastor Tracy is not going to lose any sleep. And you're miserable in your life because you didn't listen to her. That's all right. You choose. Unwillingness to change. This more or less follows from the two categories. Once you immerse yourself in self-pity, and once you discover that you are a victim, the logical conclusion is that you can't or you won't change. You know people who said, I'm not changing? That's the way I am, and I'm not changing. Unfortunately, this type of negative thinking tends to reinforce itself. Since you can't change, then your behavior can't be your fault. So you never have to face it honestly. Now that kind of gets us in a corner here. So I can't change, and my behavior can't change, because I can't change it. And so this is just what we got. This person says, it's no use trying. I'll never change. Uh, And I have every right to be hurt, and I'm not going to give it up. Or I know it's wrong, but I'm not going to stop. And here's the good one. God made me this way, so it's not my fault. person says, it's no use trying, I'll never change. Here's one, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But I think if you gave him enough treat, you might be able to, if he likes his treats, if you pick the right one. I have every right to be hurt, and you know what? Yeah, probably you do. Every one of us in here, everybody in this church, everybody in other churches, everybody in the world has been done wrong at one point or another. Right? Some people owe you money. Some people... Watch this. Watch this. Now you're going to say, oh, Pastor, you got problems. I'm pulling this out of my hard drive. So I sold two suits to one of my college buddies 33 years ago, 32 years ago. And he said, I get paid next week. I'll give you the money then. For one of us, this has been the longest week of my entire life. This week has lasted 32 years. And you know, he never paid me. And you know what? You're thinking, Pastor, you're pulling that up from 32 years ago. I just had to pull up to think about it. Even It doesn't bother me. I don't care. It's been wore off. It's been wore off. 
what I'm saying is we've all been done wrong. So we've all been, uh, people owe us money. Somebody stole from us. I've seen people get so upset because somebody stole blah, 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 blah. I said, dude, it's just stuff. We can go right to the store and buy the exact same thing. Only this time it would be new. Oh, yeah, but so-and-so gave that to me. Or, I, you know, I blah, blah. You know, what's our attachment on? Is it on things? Because things are going to pass away. So whatever it is, we've all been, we've all been uh, wronged. We've all been scammed. We've all been hurt. We've all been offended. Really, this gets into the good old unforgiveness. Is there anybody in the world that can walk through that door right now, and when you see them, you instantly just want to pull out your gun and shoot them? Oh, I don't know if that's why you want to pull out your gun, right? You see what I'm saying? Are are we willing to let those people that have done us wrong, let them go? Are we willing to do that? That's part of this. I, I can't change. I've been hurt, and I'm not going to give that up. I have every right to be hurt. I have every right. I was done completely wrong. I was lied about. Has anybody ever been lied about before? Let's go a little deeper. Have you been lied about by a little deeper. Have you been lied about by friendships? How have you handled them? If a preacher walked through the door right now, what would you do with them? Hmm? What would we do with that person? What would we do with that person that we thought was our idol? that we thought was our mentor, that we looked up to, and they stabbed us in the back, and they did us wrong, and we didn't deserve it. We did not deserve it. If we choose to stay hurt, that's on us. If we choose not to let God handle it, if we choose not to change and love them, the Bible says Jesus said love them that, that speak all manner of evil against you. Forgive them. When they, when they use you and abuse you, basically. Forgive them. Amen? So, God made me this way, so it's not my fault. No, God didn't make you that way. God probably is trying to work it out of you. Anybody ever iron a shirt? You know what the best way to iron a shirt is? Steam. Hot steam. I don't like dry iron. That's that's crazy. You got to get steam, and you got to do it until you get cramp in the front, until it's going all over the house, the bedroom, and Max is running while you're doing this. Steam, but steam is hot. Steam can burn you, but to get that out of you, we need a good burning of the spirit of the Lord in us. It wasn't the shirt's fault that it got wrinkled because you got too many clothes in your closet. Man, Amy cleaned her closet out a couple weeks ago, and she said, Jesus, I got the most dirt in my bedroom. 
this closet is so much bigger than it used to be. Wow. I forgot everything that was in there. God was trying to get all of that out of us, and we want to hang on to it because we have an unwillingness to change. You know what that is? That's not wanting to surrender. Some people just have to surrender. Some people, all they talk about today is their past. And every day they live in their past. And every day they go back to the hurts in their past. And every day they go back to the disappointments from their past. And what that is doing is that is affecting their present. And then it affects your future. The longer that we hang on to our past, the less time we can spend on our future. We walk around with our hands full of our past. And we can't get another thing here in our hands for the present and the future because our hands are full of the past. We've got to let the past go. That's where we got to let it go. That unwillingness to change. Oh, here's the last one. Aren't you glad this is almost over? We're, it's going to get better. We're going to start talking about good things. Anger and bitterness. Anger and bitterness. You ever met somebody bitter? And you tell them they're bitter? I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter at all. Man, I got a whole, I got a whole bag load of people that are losing their mind. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. This is the logical outcome. Once you begin to pity yourself, then you become the victim. But victims can't be blamed. Right? Because it's not their fault. Therefore, you refuse to face the possibility that you yourself are the source of your own problems. When others suggest otherwise, you get angry, defensive, and bitter. You remember every miserable thing that ever was done to you or against you. All right. Case in point. Some of you may know this person, and some of you probably won't. Most of you probably won't. Maybe Susan will. She's been here through the whole thing. Dustin, no, Michaela won't. No, she won't. All right, so watch. There's this woman that came to church here a long, long time ago. In fact, she was in the old building with me, okay? And she came to church. Now, we were church number six in about three or four years. Now, she, was, she lived in the same house that I lived here. She just went from church to church, okay? And when she came, I had one of those moments that I had about 10,018 thoughts about her. And the escalation in thoughts were about her. What is she doing here? What happened at the last church? Because I knew this. I knew this person. Who 
everything to do at the last day. How long will she be here until COVID passes? That's five thoughts right there, right? So uh, she comes to church, and she does pretty well for a while. She does pretty well for a while. And then all at once, all at once, I get a, a message from someone else in the church, another lady here in the church, about, uh, it was a copy of this letter that the, the uh, almost said the, almost named her the crazy lady, the crazy, all right, I'm just going to call her the crazy lady because God knows where she's at now, but anyway that the crazy lady sent to one of the other ladies who wasn't crazy in the church about, you are so rude. You are, and this is the love of God, huh? You are so arrogant. You walk around with your nose in the air, and you won't talk to anybody. And, I mean, it was a whole page. It was a whole page. She lasted this long. So, and I'll never forget, this was, we were going out, it was in 2009, and we were going out to Maryland for my mother and father's 60th wedding anniversary. And that is the letter that I woke up to. We drove halfway that night, and we stopped in Springfield, Ohio, and I got up early, and I went to check the emails that I got, and that was one of the letters I got. Passed it, and I'm like, oh, boy. Okay. So, long story short, I, I tried to talk to the crazy lady. First of all, I tried to comfort the normal lady, letting her know that she wasn't rude, I never perceived that from her. She wasn't arrogant. She wasn't snotty, blah, blah, blah. All You know, all the words. And I tried to convince her that this lady that was just having a hard time. She's just having a hard day. So then I tried to con contact and deal with, you know, are you okay? What's happened? And she was very unreasonable about everything I tried to tell her. And this went on for several weeks, trying to help her through this. And at some point, I finally just said, listen, listen. Therefore, you refuse to face the possibility that you yourself are the source of your own problems. When others suggest otherwise, you get angry, defensive, and bitter. You remember every miserable thing you've ever done to you or against you. I simply said to this woman finally, this church is your sick church. Six. And then what really probably didn't help her was I named the first five. 
I said, you have been here and you left. You have been here and you got offended. You went here and this happened. See, she's that person. And I said, let's think about this. Could it be that if this has happened to you six times, that it may not be the church? Skyrockets in flight. That last paragraph describes her, and that's what I got. She was going to find another church, and she did. And she lasted, church number seven, she lasted about six months at church number seven. And now I don't even know if she goes to church anymore. I've lost track of her. But listen, she just started all over. Seven's a perfect number, right? Start all over. Anger and bitterness. If we're not careful, that negative thinking gets in there. And you don't even realize you are. And people, outside people can see it, but yet they try to talk to you. And it's like, I'm not the one with the problem. That's what she said. I'm not the one with the problem. So-and-so just walks around like she's a queen. I said, I didn't know we, I pastored in a palace. If she's a queen, are you kidding me? But this negative thinking comes in. So you stew in your juices over the slightest negative remark made by others. You bristle at any notion that your life could be different. You hold grudges, even though you say you don't. You glare and turn your head when you see your enemy coming toward you. You shut them out cold. Your thoughts matter. Negative thinking will lead to negative living. And negative living will actually start to produce stress in your body. And your body, when it goes under stress, it does weird things. Sometimes you lose weight. You lose your appetite. You lose weight. Sometimes you gain weight. Sometimes you stress eat. Sometimes people stress sleep. You see what I'm saying? Because there is a physiological situation in your body and the chemicals coming out of your brain that negative thinking will produce negative living and things physically will begin to happen to you. Hmm. Wow, what time is it? benefits of positive thinking. There are benefits to positive thinking. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you go tonight and leave you in a positive mind. Amen. Because listen, the negative stuff, guys, negative stuff, you have to get at, you have to get rid of the negative stuff. You have to flush it. Sometimes you have to flush it twice to get it to the gutter. Okay? Things in your life Listen, guys, it is not worth paying the price in your spirit walk, in your physical walk, in your mental health to let
let those negative things keep you back from what God has for you. God has awesome things for us. And Paul said, what did he say in that, in that verse? He said, this one thing, do. He could have said all kinds of stuff. He could have said, I want you to fast on Tuesday. Like John. He'll say, I want you to fast on three, uh, three days. Call pastor up and say, we're going to fast three days. You ready? Now, my body just falls over dead. You kidding? I got to work into this. He could have said, I want you to pray. I want you to pray four hours every day for the rest of your life. I want you to teach my, no, he said, this one thing. He said, you got to think right. Because if we get our thinking right, everything else is going to start to fall in place. But the devil wants to mess up our minds. And the devil wants to mess up our thinking. He wants to get into our thinking. When he can get into our thinking, then he gets into my actions because thoughts produce actions. When I pulled out the other day in front of that car, my thought was, that car is not going very fast. I can beat it. No worries. And it produced an action. And then halfway through the action, I'm thinking, that was real stupid. I could have waited four more seconds, and there's nobody in a half mile behind that car. Are you kidding, Tracy? Tracy, you're too valuable to get behind that. Especially on a youth trip to Indiana. Justin, were you on that canoe trip to Indiana? Was you in my van? You took two vans, I know. I know. It was just amazing. People in Indiana, I'm sorry, Lauren, but they're not very friendly over there because I'm telling you. We were on a church we were on a church youth trip and and we were just driving down the road. I think it was Route 36, and this car passed us. And I got a whole church, a band full of church kids in here. And they let us know we were number one. That's who were the dudes in the parking lot. Yeah. And it's like, wow, people in Indiana are really rude, really unfriendly. It was something. It was something. Kevin.
eight seconds. All right, let's stand. That's the eight-second rule. Okay? Eight seconds. You get that thought, let it get kicked out. If you don't, you're entertaining it. You know? When I said it, what, you poured out your gun tonight, somebody even trying to figure out what caliber you're going to use. Well, that ain't right. Don't be doing that. Okay? So remember, like Kevin said, if you can't forgive those who have sinned against you, how can your heavenly Father forgive you? That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. So we got to learn to let go. Let God do. And you know what? Let the Lord, let the Holy Ghost, let let the Lord begin to clean out your vessel. When I say that, I'm not talking about your natural body. I'm talking about this is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Let him clean out your vessel of all of the bitterness and the anger and all of the resentment and unforgiveness that we have toward people. Let him clean it out. And let him clean it out because the Lord wants to put oceans of blessings in Satan's camp. Amen. And Abraham, this is a whole nother deal. Abraham dug wells, and it was after Abraham and Isaac that the Philistines came and they put junk in the well. They clogged the wells up. The water was still there in the well. It just couldn't flow. And what God wants to do is he wants his spirit to flow in our lives. Because water that doesn't flow is stagnant. It's nasty. It's bad. Amen.